0: Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. A little over a year ago, I launched this show and got on Facebook to tell my friends and family about it. 30 episodes later, it's time to celebrate. We've had amazing guests, interesting conversations, and of course, an awesome community of listeners that span every continent around the globe. I can't thank you enough for your support. It's meant the world to me. And so today, we take a look back at our first year together, revisiting some interesting interviews from the year. For the listeners who've been with us from the beginning, I hope this is a great refresher. For those that joined us along the way, maybe you'll hear a clip from an episode you missed. This is also a great episode to share with friends and colleagues who aren't yet listeners, as it can serve as an introduction to what we do here. I would be eternally grateful if, as a Christmas gift to me, you would share the show with someone who might enjoy it. Now, every episode of the show's archive is available completely free at artofthesermon.com. So if you hear a clip and want to go back and catch a full episode, you can. All right, that's enough on the front end. Let's jump into it. We'll start all the way back at the beginning with our very first guest, Reverend De Vega. He's the senior pastor at Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. The main topic of our interview was about preaching Advent, which is now, of course, almost over, but he also shared some about the discipline of writing in episode two. Well, speaking of keeping things fresh, uh, you have the opportunity and you follow through on the opportunities to produce a lot of material throughout the year. You, you preach on a regular basis. You write a midweek message for your church that goes out over social media and through emails. And, and like I said, you uh, have your book out. You also were the leadership editor for the Covenant Bible Study. You seem to have a lot of opportunities uh, to speak and to write. How do you keep the well full for yourself, both spiritually and intellectually?
1: Well, uh, I'd be curious what your guests have said to that, because I'd love to hear that myself. Um, But for me, I've discovered that writing is a spiritual practice. Um, I was privileged to be part of a writing program at the Collegeville Institute in uh, St. John's in uh, Collegeville, Minnesota, about uh, six or seven years ago. And I had a chance to spend a week with Eugene Peterson. Uh, the famous uh, author behind the Message Bible. And he uh, really impressed upon me um, the need to be a writer, which, in his view, is very different from being an author. Um, yeah. He said a lot of folks come to him wanting to be an author, which means <laughs> they want their works to be published. Right. He said, you know, if you have that kind of ambition, then you're in for a long haul. And he really helped me remember that my goal is not to be an author, even though my name is affixed now to certain publication. Uh, it's not my inherent dream to be a published author, but it is to be a writer, which means fundamentally to be a caretaker of words. Words are our stock and trade as preachers, and in order to keep that uh, tool sharpened and in order to keep that resource fresh, I just have to write uh, even and especially in those moments when I don't feel like writing or feel like I have nothing to say, uh, because uh, writing is like flexing muscles, and if you don't use it, then they won't be there strong enough when you really need it. So I, I started writing my weekly email devotional uh, sort of in the practice of Jim Harnish, my predecessor as a way of writing and reflecting theologically on current events and upcoming scriptures and to do it with the kind of excellence that I thought that kind of message deserved. And lo and behold, as I started doing this about eight years ago, uh, the practice of writing that message every Monday helped me write my sermon uh, with more finesse and creativity later in the week. and. Uh, I've done enough of these midweek messages to where, eventually, I didn't realize it at the time, but I've got all sorts of wonderful resource material, original writings, that I've been able to piece together to write things like uh, Awaiting the Already," um, as well as an upcoming book that I just signed a contract on for for Westminster, John Knox, ironically, also about Advent.
0: (laughs) There are worse pigeonholes to be put in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm getting pigeonholed. That's okay. And so just the practice of writing in and of itself, whether or not people will actually read what you have to say, is so important as a pastor, because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, words are a critical part of our job, whether they're spoken or written or read or heard. uh, We have to be caretakers of words. So I take—whether or not I ever uh, publish another book again as an author is really beside the fact. uh, I really take seriously my calling to be a writer.
0: Our second guest, featured in episode three, has a podcast of his own. Reverend Chad Brooks is known for his show, The Productive Pastor, and I asked him about the biggest productivity challenges that preachers face. Interestingly enough, his answer had nothing to do with finding the right app or piece of technology, but rather finding the right focus. When we turn specifically to preaching, uh, we obviously can spend an infinite amount of time on a sermon. There's always another, b- oh. <laughs> there's always another book to read or another blog post to read uh, or another paragraph to, to kind of fool with. What are some of the time challenges that, that you have in preaching and interacting with your audience? What are some of the biggest stumbling blocks or rabbit trails that, that we tend to find ourselves on when we approach
2: preaching? Well, okay, so I think a lot of it is the fact that we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we want to do. We don't know what that that call to action. So we will use some marketing language there, right? Um, we don't we don't know what that intended response is, and so when you don't have that, and that's why I, this 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 whole Monday moment thing that I'm really passionate about matters is because what it does is it serves as a filter for your preparation, a filter for your research, for your study, and um, insists upon you being incarnational in the life of your community to know, like, okay. What do they really need to know right now? What do they really need to hear right now? What, not, what kind of cool can I teach them? I learned in seminary eight years ago. <laughs> right, right. Um, what, and so that so when you realize where you need to go, um, it's, I, I worked in media for a long time. There's a, a concept called shoot to edit. You don't just get 50 hours of video and then hope to pull something out of it. You get two hours of video, and every single one of those two hours is, 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 is for what you're intending on communicating. Yeah. And so it's almost so like, it's like, uh, I, I, I do not come to a text to start my frontline research without knowing, okay, this is what I believe. God is, wants to communicate with us through this. And now that shifts and changes in the sure. process. Sure. It's, it, it doesn't, I mean, I'm not putting limits on the Holy spirit because it's and, and, and nine times out of 10, that intention shifts and changes as I do my research, but I just don't just drop into a sermon blind. Yeah. Um, and When you do that, so you just get too much. You, just get, you get too many notes. I mean, to, to make it plain and simple, you get too much crap to work with. Right. Which means, which means you're going to try to say it all. Right. Which means it's, right. it's going to meander around for forty five or fifty minutes, and, and you're going to chase a bunch of rabbits and never make a stew.
0: In episode four, we spent time with Reverends Rob McCoy and Eric Fissler, who are both pastors and host a lectionary based preaching preparation podcast called Pulpit Fiction. While they both split their preaching throughout the year between lectionary and design sermon series, they shared what they felt were the primary strengths and opportunities found in using the lectionary. As as folks that have worked with it and studied it for so long, are, are there any inherent strengths in it? If, if, for example, there's probably a lot of younger pastors out there that are starting to grow up with only serious preachers, they don't have an experience of lectionary, or if they do, it's maybe Advent and Lent at most. Is there is there a pitch that you guys could give to a pastor who is maybe a little bit leery of the lectionary?
3: Well, there's a ton of help out there for you. You know, I mean I mean honestly, if you're if you're a lectionary preacher, there's a ton of resources. Our podcast is just one of many that is built around that. And so that you're part of a community. And it's not just about the help, I think. It's about the fact that you're part of a community. And there there is something I think very cool about knowing that churches all around the world, this at this time in this place are going into this text. And and I think there is something, you know, kind of like, you know, I think about the communion table being not bound by time and space. To a certain extent, if you're using the lectionary, your your text is not bound by this time. There's a, there's a communion of saints, you know, the great cloud of witnesses that is also participating in this. Mm. So I think there's something very beautiful in that um, sort of church, you know, capital C church body that is um, coming to this text all at the same time um from many different places i think there's something really uh wonderful and beautiful about that
2: yeah i mean i i would add to that too i think that one of the dangers that can come from series preaching is you focus on the texts that speak to you um you go to your you go to to the texts that that come to mind that fit the series that you're most well acquainted with right and while the lectionary doesn't do it even close to as well as it should Um, there are times when it's going to lead you into texts that are uncomfortable, that are challenging. And I do think that the lectionary sometimes pushes us uh, or has the possibility to push us into those areas. Um, And obviously, it's not just a one-all, be-all. There are serious preachers
3: who will push themselves and things like that. Well, I think we heard, when we were talking to Nadia Bowles-Weber, I think she said, you know, or I've heard her say, you know, I just don't trust myself. Mm. yeah mm-hmm. to pick the t- like uh, just put it as bluntly as that, and I think there's something to that that you know and this and I and I am a serious preacher, I do believe, but I go back to the lectionary sometimes, and uh I think there is something to say of you know just trusting that there is a there is a greater wisdom than what i have uh what, than what I've conjured up.
0: Episode 7 featured the first of a two-part interview with Reverend Sarah Heath, who's a pastor in California and is also an artist. In one segment of our conversation, I asked her about the challenges that come when you're both an artist and a preacher.
4: I think um, one that I kind of alluded to a little bit is the idea of, I want it to be perfect. Yeah. And when you're preaching every week, it's not going to be perfect, and that's... You're going to do your best, but there are going to be weeks when you go, what was that? (laughs) Right? And you're like, you just want to say, I am so sorry. And it's always interesting because someone will come up to you crying and be like, that was so important. And you're like, oh, thank you, God, because you definitely did that one, not me. Um, And so I think you have to let go of the uh, perfectionism that a lot of artists have you know, um, there is this false narrative that artists are lazy and some might be for sure. You know, you always meet the writer who isn't writing. Right. Um, but I think you, a lot of it has to do with perfectionism. And so you have to let go of that, which is a challenge and can be hard. I think a lot of times too, as a, a more artistic person, you know, I, I, as a child, uh, danced and I loved to dance and I, um, my I drove her crazy because in, uh, recital time, I was on, I was on point, you know, but in rehearsal, I was always kind of goofing around because I loved entertaining my class. (laughs) And the, the thing is, is that I had to learn how to be more consistent. And so Mm. I think, uh, what you learn is that you really enjoy the affirmation of people telling you you're doing a great job. And a lot of artists get really sensitive to that. But again, I, I have to remind myself to constantly go back to surrendering the outcome and going, okay. Um, whatever, however this falls on people's ears, it's going to fall on their ears. And I have to just let that go because again, part of my pastor personality is I want everyone to feel good about everything I do. And that's just impossible.
0: Right. right? Exactly. Um,
4: and so I think that's for sure an inherent challenge. Um, sometimes it's just not going to be incredibly inspired and that's that's okay too. Um, so just being faithful to the process of, no, I still have to get up in the pulpit, even if I this doesn't have the greatest you know, moment that they walk away and tweet
0: about. Episodes nine and 10 featured another two-part interview, but this time the two parts were recorded a couple months apart. Reverend Brian Johnson had just transitioned from being an associate to a senior pastor in episode nine, and he talked about wanting to get ahead in his sermon planning. By the time we caught up with him for episode 10, he had planned the entire calendar year's worth of sermons, and here's how he did it.
5: I actually found it easier than I thought it would be. Um, and so what I did was I really set aside most of a week. It was a week where I wasn't preaching. Um, I was in town, and there were still responsibilities at the church to do in terms of administration, but I tried the week before to get as much as that done to block off. And when I say a week, for me, that was a Monday through a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so what what I did was I really began, I read a lot of articles. I tried to figure out how the people approach it. And for me, the approach was to first begin in prayer trying to discern what are the needs of this congregation. Um, like, I would love to preach any, any number of sermon series, but I don't know that they would actually fit the needs of this congregation. One of the things that I did was I sent out a survey, uh, based off of a survey that Church of the Resurrection uses for theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, I put out a survey a few weeks in advance to our congregation, I got two responses. <laughs> Again, the digital challenge. <laughs> right, right. Next year, I'll put out printed copies sure. as opposed to a beautiful Google form online. It was beautiful. You showed it to me. It was, yes, it, yes. It was well done. Um, but I also used other ways to ask people the same questions, um, but to look at what books of Scripture do you wrestle with? Uh, what things do your friends who don't go to church need to, um, need to know or want to know? Um, where do you need to grow in your faith? Um, what places uh, do you see around the community of justice, of social needs? And so I like that survey they did because it, it cast a very broad net. And, um, and, and I began with prayer and just kind of discerned several areas that I felt we needed to deal with, um, areas that focused on who we are as a church and where we're going, um, areas hopefully of personal interest of where some of our adults um, are living in their life. Uh, and then, of course, some of the big ones like, what are we going to do for Christmas? What are we going to do for Lent? What are we going to do for those things? Um, and the other piece of how I did that was another strategy, again, I saw as an associate, and I thought, when well, I'm a senior pastor, I want to do this. Right. And it was the idea of, of you, take, you take sermon series that, that attract others in. So in my mind, January, people are making resolutions, at least for our church and community. It seemed like we would get more visitors after Christmas mm-hmm. who were thinking about church. And so we made sure to promote that well on Christmas Eve. And we did a sermon series that would hopefully attract people into faith or back to church. And then right after that, we move into, in Lent, we'll move into a sermon series that's focused more on growing people who are there. And that's my best way at trying to figure out how you meet both sides of the coin of of preaching messages that draw people into the faith, maybe somewhat to the neglect of those who are already there. Mm Mm-hmm. But then switching that around and saying, those who've come into the faith and those who are here, this is a time to really dig in deeper.
0: In episode 11, I had the amazing opportunity to record a conversation with Rob Bell. In this clip, he talks about how if we want to preach well, we have to orient our lives around the practice of preaching.
6: It's a sacred thing, and you have to arrange your life if you're going to have sermons around it. Mm. And you have to be willing to have really strong boundaries. And, and, uh, you have to give it what it deserves. And most, I just met lots of pastors who don't get enough time to make their sermons great, but it is one of their main parts of their job. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
6: So these people are hiring you to give great sermons and it's at the top of the list of things you're to do. So you have to protect your heart, your soul, even first and foremost, caring for yourself, exercise, good food, plenty of sleep. Um, if you're going to give great sermons, there's, there are other things you aren't going to be able to do. And the community is going to have to be okay with that. And part of it is just having the resolve To live according to your convictions and boundaries, and when people hear great sermons, they love them and they get it. Like, oh, for you to do that, you need certain things. Okay, Um, but it's just the resolve and the discipline and the intention to figure it out. And then this is not Thursdays for one hour. (laughs) Right. Uh, right. Some people sit down. There's an empty word processing document, and they're trying to like reading some commentaries on the Book of John and trying to come up with something. The art of the sermon is about becoming the kind of person who notices. You're moving a half step slower because you're simply seeing what other people are missing. And that's first and foremost the job, is simply to see what others are missing. And most people are moving too fast. They're passing burning bushes, but they're checking their texts. And your job is to stand in the midst of the community and witness to that which is on fire.
0: In episode 13, College Campus Minister Derek Scott Third shares the two questions he uses to stay connected with his students, which then shapes what he preaches on.
7: I carve out um, probably the most amount of time in my schedule for one-on-one meetings with our students. Um, and I, I asked them two specific questions um, that are actually John Wesley questions. Mm. Um, the first question is, how's your soul? Um, and it, it's it's the first question I always ask. I even ask my staff and I ask my friends, um, how's your soul? And, uh, and I just wait for the answer. And no one's ever really ready for the question, even though they know that's the question that's coming. And I have students who just don't like the question. And- <laughs> And and they always give me a face. Um, Yeah. But that question, um, it helps me, one, be open to them speaking their their truth, little T truth, if I could say it that way. Yeah, their truth. And also, um, it gives them a chance to say things that maybe they haven't been able to say to other people. And even sometimes things that they have a hard time saying back to God. So that's usually the first question. And I and I'm always listening for those answers and processing those answers. The second question um, is even harder. What's the last thing you heard God say to you? Mm. And I asked them that question, as, and especially if it's the first time they've heard it, I give them sort of the reason why. I don't really expect an answer. It, it's more <laughs> that I am pushing an assumption in front of them. Mm. Again, that God is always speaking to God's people. And it is not that God is not talking, that it is more about us listening and putting ourselves in a position to listen. And so when I ask them that question, I am asking them, are they putting themselves in a position, whether that be being in worship regularly or being in scripture consistently or quieting their hearts long enough to hear God speak that still small voice or being open with the people that they trust spiritually and, you know, so many other ways, being out of nature for some people and, you know, being in service for others, you know, working on their craft and seeing what they hear as they work out their craft. But I, I'm asking them that question to see if they're even in a position to hear God speak. And those two questions become super key. One, where the student is at the moment. Mm. And so then I ask the question, what has God biblically said to people that have also been in that place? And again, that's where the word of God dwelling in me and me always being in scripture sort of supports and resources what I do with that information. And then whatever they say they heard, is there scripture that supports that? Or is there tradition that supports that? And I don't normally correct it in the meeting because it's not really what the meeting's for. right? But then when I get into teaching and preaching, that's really what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to how they tell me they are and what God has said, what God has done, what has happened in scripture with other people who have been there. And then here's what you seem to think God's saying, here's the scripture and here's the theology that may support or may inform Or possibly challenge what you feel like you're hearing. And so the one-on-one meetings really inform the preaching. And I can tell when my preaching is suffering because I'm not having any one-on-one meetings Mm, or as many. Yeah, That's when my preaching really suffers.
0: Later in the year, we were joined by Reverend Adam Weber, the pastor of the fastest-growing United Methodist Church in the nation. When I first learned about him and his church, I was a little surprised by his preaching style, which led to this awkward question and Adam's gracious and honest answer in episode 21. Uh, when i When I first found the podcast stream for your sermons, I saw that the sermons were roughly around twenty minutes long, and I thought, "Oh, these must be clips uh, and actually, I saw you know all the different <laughs> guest speakers, so i thought oh he 's just like he 's just summarizing the sermons and then interviewing guests as they come along but no like i, I found the videos that that 's it you, you it 's like eighteen to twenty five minutes you stand behind a music stand, you appear to use notes or a manuscript and and i and I bring this up because I know in my head, when I think fastest growing church, my assumption jumps to sort of the Andy Stanley model or even the Adam Hamilton model of 45 minutes you know no notes moving all around a big stage uh, and, and and I would imagine some of our listeners think this too that there is no hope to have a big church or a growing church unless I can come off as sort of the, the slickest person and I, and I like this was tough my wife was like make sure you phrase this question so it doesn't sound like you're you're not that great at preaching but you have a big church I, you are incredible at preaching you just you just do it in your own Way and so, can you speak to the yeah. value and power of of being authentic?
8: I keep telling our staff the day we find a good lead pastor, this church is going to go someplace because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's so true, and it's honestly something that I've wrestled with within my own soul. I mean, um, even recently, Carrie Newhoff um, did a did some blog posts on going noteless and and how to noteless preach and teach and speak, and I, I'm like, God, I'm wrestling with that and just show mm-hmm. what that looks like and how it is. Um, more and more, though, I'm, I ha- actually had a, a communications friend who is very successful in their fields in the line of communication. And I actually brought this, this exact thing up with him. Like, God, do you think I should change? Like, and he, he's a person who's very straightforward, so he wasn't being just kind to me. He said, he said Adam, I would, I would never change that, actually. Mm. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm trying to change it. Like, I'm trying everything to change it, and I still am experimenting with what that looks like. And he said, Adam, you do what you do so well. Why would you change that? uh, He's like, I've loved listening to your messages. It's totally different than what I expected. But he's like, why would you change? Like, why would you change that? And it's like, okay, okay. And I, I think we should constantly work on our craft yeah. So I'm I'm constantly trying to refine it and and get stronger and whatever. And maybe someday I will be noteless, but um it, it really is. It's I I think figuring out like who has God wired you and how has He wired you to be? And then leaning into that as much as you possibly can and and what and with the with the noteless mu music stand, like I don't know if it'll be there in a couple of years. Maybe it will, maybe it won't be. Um, but it's where I'm at right now. And as far as length it's so crazy. Um it that that's not because our service times are shorter service times. We run like a fifty, fifty five minute service mm. tops. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not governed by that because that's the length I've preached even when we only had one service and there was no balance to service time. Yeah. Um and I don't know if I don't know if that's um something that's come as a result of watching TED Talks or just kind of learning. I think more than anything it's really just who I am in the communicator mm. and just who I continue to be. It's like, Oh, that, that's, I kind of get that thought and that's exactly the length I need to explain kind of that one thought that I hope that people leave with and, and can, can mull around with. It's like, instead of speaking eloquently for 50 minutes and not remembering any of it, it's like, God, oh, if I could share for 20 minutes and really get to the heart of the matter yeah. of, of what I think God's saying to us, wow, that would be, that would be great. One of the foundational
0: things I believe is that we as preachers can learn from people in other fields, not just other preachers. A great example of this was our guest in episode 22, Sarah Green Carmichael. She's a senior editor at the Harvard Business Review. And here she shares one of the primary challenges women face as communicators.
9: So I think there's a couple things to unpack here. One is just, I think, you know women if they're not already aware you know should remember and be aware and men too that that women are you know expected to be not just as warm as men but more warm and more empathetic than men and so i think there are ways to do that as a leader where you you know, that don't involve you sort of groveling and apologizing. Um, and, and it is true that women are often expected to, to be sort of more deferential and to do that kind of random female apologizing thing. But when you're in a leadership role, that, that's really tough because people are looking to you for direction. They're looking to you for a certain amount of, as you said, confidence. So uh, Therese Houston, you mentioned, um, I did interview her and she's written some stuff for us. That's definitely someone people can can look up um, to get more on that. Um, there's also a professor at IE Business School uh, whose name is Margarita Mayo who, who wrote some stuff for us about this topic. And basically what she recommends, what her research has found, is that when women, um, to be seen as, confident have to be seen as warm and competent. Men really can just be seen as sort of competent and confident, and those sort of go together. But women do need to, to make sure they have this warmth ingredient. That's not to say that men don't need it. Men will be even more effective of, as leaders if they have empathy and and, and warmth. Um, but women really need to make sure that they're going out of their way to, to exude a certain degree of warmth. Um, and that does take a bit more work. But you know, ultimately the the payoff for women there is, is pretty important.
0: In episode 23, Leslie Jordan, one half of the worship duo, All Sons and Daughters, shared what she sees as vital to the relationship between pastors and their worship leaders.
10: I think FaceTime, you know, there's a lot of times that worship pastors, um, or worship leaders in the church, if they're lay leaders may not get FaceTime with the pastor. And, Mm. and I know that that there's an expectation there that like every everybody who leads the church is best buds and and are kind of all on the same page but for us the relational side of of what we do together on a sunday uh, in our gatherings it it really has to stem from a relationship with each other otherwise it feels disjointed and we're asking people to do something that we haven't yet done together and um and so i think there's there can be friction there sometimes cuz pastors can be you know, more of the driven, um, you know, communicating mm-hmm. and the worship leaders can be more of the emotional <laughs>
8: responsive, yeah,
10: yeah. Uh, types. And so I think, you know, sometimes there's personality differences and I think there's a lot of beauty in, in learning how to work through those things together again. So, so that you're, you're an example for the people you're leading, because you're asking them to walk out life together and be in community together. And so I think that's a really important aspect for the staff or for the lay leaders uh, who are leading alongside the pastors, is just face time, relationship, um, being a part of each other's lives, so that when you come to lead together, it's a really natural thing.
0: In episode twenty-four, Mike McHarg, also known as Science Mike from the Liturgists and Ask Science Mike podcast, shared about why it's important for churches to take science seriously.
11: With the right lens, science is your ally. Whatever your beliefs are about creation or evolution. Creating the space for people to engage those ideas inside of Christian faith and practice makes your church attractive. People leave church, and the statistics tell us that the nuns are lonelier, Mm. that they're more isolated. And in fact, in the early days of leaving the church behind, you have a pretty significant elevated risk of suicide attempts. Because church offers really valuable community and connection. Um, and those are things that people are longing for. But if the church's stance on climate change or, or the Big Bang cosmology or evolution is absurd, uh, people are going to walk away because it seems as ridiculous as the, you know, centuries ago, the church's opposition to heliocentrism. Mm hmm. The church's track record of fighting (laughs) science on facts about reality is abysmal. Yeah. We're like, oh, for a million. (laughs) So I say when science speaks to facts about physical reality, let's let it. Let's get on board. And if it has theological implications, let's work through them without fear. Why do we so... Jealously guard our ideas about God, mistaking them for God himself. It's a just so grieves me that one of the biggest statistical predictors for a millennial-aged person to leave the church is that they accept the theory of evolution and their church does not. We have good resources, institutions like Biologos, who do the work of. Working with real scientists and theologians to help create uh, accommodations for evolutionary creationism. In the main line, we have a, a lot of scholarship around theistic evolution. Um, these are not necessarily battles, these are not good hills to die on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. It's, it's a waste of energy. So let's focus on what's important the hope we have in this story of Jesus to offer healing to the world and community for those who feel most alone.
0: On a clip show like this one, we're not able to highlight every episode and every guest. In fact, we've only heard from about a third of the episodes from this year. So I do hope you'll take some time to check out the archives at artofthesermon.com. There's lots of great stuff in there. But for now, we'll wrap up this year in review with one more clip from a two-part interview with Bishop Ken Carter. This section from episode 26 talks about the role that preaching can play in finding unity during times of conflict and division. These are wise words and so timely after a year like 2016. And as you hear them, know that I'm praying for you, that your work as a preacher, teacher, and communicator will be a beacon of hope in your community.
12: I think, uh, you know, the role of the preacher uh, is uh, he or she is the person who gets to stand up before the community. And it matters a great deal what's what, what you make visible and what you ignore, uh, what you, what you, uh, focus on and what you shift to the margins, and so I believe that again the word of uh, whether it's uh, Pentecost or whether it's John seventeen or whether it's the great passage in ephesians uh, ephesians about the breaking down the dividing wall of hostility uh, or acts fifteen there are there are places within scripture where we we are tempted to toward our tribalism, toward our divisions, uh, and yet the Holy Spirit is always pushing us uh, toward more of that.
0: Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about, at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.